This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Happy Thursday. It's June 18th. This is episode 18 of the Best Friends Podcast. How cool is that? Have you subscribed to the podcast? It's the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. We've put links to subscribe on the website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. And for those of you who listen using Apple Podcasts, ratings and reviews always welcomed. If you say you like it, then Apple thinks other people should check it out. Just helps us grow. We'd really appreciate it. Now, cats are amazing. Right? My wife and I share our life with four currently, and if I was a billionaire, I'd have a thousand, I don't even know, but a full staff to do litter pans, obviously. So we know cats are awesome, but what's the deal with cats? That's the best Seinfeld impression I've got there. Yeah, I know it's bad. Sounds more like Will Ferrell doing Harry Carey, but seriously, we're a cat-crazy culture. Here at CatCon Worldwide, if you don't know what CatCon is, it's the biggest convention in the world for cat lovers. If you're a cat person, this is essentially Coachella for you. 16,000 people attended CatCon in 2019. That's a convention entirely devoted to cats. And the internet basically made for cat videos. That's the unmistakable sounds of my favorite internet cat ever, Lil Bub. She's the kitty who helped show the world just how special special needs cats are. May she rest in peace. I mean, Grumpy Cat, the influence that cat's had on popular culture. Oh, and by the way, my cat Bob, also an internet sensation. He has 300 followers on Instagram. So anyway, this is all to say that we love cats. So why are they the animal most often killed in shelters? More than two-thirds of animals that lose their lives in shelters are cats. We have to do better. So what's the deal with cats? <laughs> I swear to you, that is the last time. I didn't plan Stray Cat Alliance. I didn't plan any of it. It sort of unfolded, but that's like, I'm going to do trap, neuter, return. I love this thing. You spay them, you return them. They live a better life. There's a solution. There's no more cruelty. There's less cruelty by others. And there's respect for their, for their lives and, and who these cats are and their incredible ability to navigate their world. Christy Metropole is the founder and executive director of Stray Cat Alliance in Los Angeles. The feral and free-roaming cats and the people who care for them in L.A. were given a strong voice and leader when Christy started that organization 20 years ago. Her leadership has been integral to the work of the No Kill Los Angeles Initiative, NKLA, and nationally. She took time out of her busy day to talk about cats. My grandfather uh, loved cats, and the first cat he got, her, her name was Alfie. And he rescued her from like probably the first rescuer sanctuary in the 1960s in Maryland. And I don't remember the name of it, but it's actually kind of famous. And he loved that cat. But so there's a love, obviously, and understanding, but they are totally maligned. And there's mythology. And I think there's I mean, if you look back in the 1100s, Pope Gregory IX equated cats with witches. And when they were burning women at the stake, they were killing cats. And they probably burned, who, who, who really knows how many millions? 
And there's stuff that I've read that after that, you know, 200 years later came the, the big plagues because there was nobody to, there were no cats to keep the rat populations down and they were coming off the boats from other places when all the trade started to happen. So I don't know that all of that is exactly true, but I do know the mythology and the hatred of cats and quite frankly, hatred of women still permeates our cultures because you never hear Almost never, 99% of the time, if you say, I rescue dogs, you don't hear people say, oh, I hate dogs. Freely, unabashed, no problem. They don't say it. But when you say I rescue cats, I usually wince because I don't want to hate the person if the next thing out of their mouth is, oh, I hate cats. And people freely will say that to me with no qualms. And then I'm like, well, now I hate you. And there's no coming back. So I, a lot of times, don't tell people what I do. I say, oh, I do animal rescue. And that definitely has changed with, you know, the advent of the internet and cats being very popular. I do see, it's taken many years, but I do see that seep into mainstream society, more acceptability of cats. If you look on Nextdoor, there are a lot of people who are helping community cats where I live, you know, all day long, people are like, have you seen this cat? Or a cat just showed up, I want to help them. So there's a lot of compassion. But there's also this hatred for cats that no other animal, there's not that specific hatred. And whenever you see a cat in a movie, you know, uh oh, they're gonna die. They're gonna get tortured, like, always. I think I want to go find like a cat historian now. I'm actually not sure if that uh, kind of thing exists, but I've heard the plague thing before, uh, and it made me think of ancient Egypt, where they had cat goddesses. I mean, cats were revered; they were gods. They were also pets. I think they may have even kept them similar uh, uh, to pets like we do today. So cats go way back, uh, and the love and the hate and the back and the forth. So now we're more like ancient Egypt, right? We're cat crazy, cat con, cats rule the internet. And But you know, when we look at the numbers, Christy, we're still killing a lot of cats. Yes, there's been progress, but we're just not doing as well as we could be, or you could argue that we should be, given the way things are today. No, that, that's 100% true. So these are the obstacles. The people who claim to be animal people who say the really good progressive life-saving programs are this abandonment. They either don't understand what we're doing, RTF and TNR, or it doesn't fit into their scheme of what they've decided. Or there are these old school ordinances. So in the state of California, there's 597F, which is abandonment, and S is cruelty, I think one of them. And um, people are saying that return to field is cruelty, it falls under abandonment. And we're like, no, no, no. <laughs> It's not abandonment. The cat is coming from where they were, getting fixed and returned. And there's a lot of, and I think this is all over the country, not just in California, but there's a lot of municipalities that won't budge from that. So we actually are so hindered legally from doing these very, um, not only progressive life-saving, but they're long-lasting. These are answers at the end of the day to the rigmarole we're on and people don't understand. And usually when we talk to some people, but I've had Dr. Kate Hurley from UC Davis, who is the 
expert on this. The woman is incredible. And her arguments are so salient and intelligent. And she's a university professor. She was an animal control officer who used to euthanize. She runs the gamut of everything that gives her credibility. And they still won't listen to her. It is my belief that we, the movement, we animal welfare, we are guilty of playing into some stereotypes like that. And listen, I do it. One of the four cats uh, we share our home with now, uh, I often tell him to his face that he's a really bad roommate. And he is. He has some behavioral issues and uh, he will express his dissatisfaction with the world using urine. So on the wrong day, uh, you're, you know, you're going to probably hear me speak quite unkindly about my son, but these things add up. The uh, men- You mentioned Hollywood, the way the media positions this. Let's look at two popular shows. We have The Dog Whisperer and My Cat from Hell, not The Cat Whisperer and My Dog from Hell, right? And listen, this is not casting any aspersion on Jackson Galaxy. The work he does, the foundation, it's all second to none. And I have no idea if he had anything to do with choosing that title. I mean, I doubt it, but the point is this. It's pure marketing, right? It's based on perceptions. My cat from hell, that's what people respond to. And that says a lot. No, and that's 100% true. Oh, my cat's a jerk. What a jerk. You don't really hear that about dogs. Or they, they're independent or all of those fallacies. And yeah, Jackson has done an amazing job in even just the basics of it's sometimes so simple. Like they biologically need height and they buy, you know, just like and nobody ever thought of cats as worthy of that. And and a testament is that show is so popular, which is amazing. And I know he has saved so many lives with his really good, profound understanding of cat behavior. I'm in 100% agreement with you about, again, it's the mythology. Cats, I mean, steal a baby's breath. And I think it has to do with misogyny because women are connect. I mean, the idea of cats and women and witchery and the feminine is all connected and in the mythology. So it's very easy to say, I hate, you know, cats, people just comes out of their mouths. Like, I think that maybe it's a little less now, but it just for so many years. But I also know that in this country today, cat women, cat ladies, but I, I met an actor, I forgot his name. He's a fabulous young actor crazy about cats. And he spent a lot of time in Europe on a lot of TV shows. He said, actually in Europe, cats are not associated with women. It's very masculine. And the Russians really love cats and the French love cats and men have them. And it's, it's not out of the ordinary for a single straight guy to have cats, which um, it's, so it's very cultural too. Like it's this thought about them. And all that stuff, all those barriers need to be talked about and broken down for um, for the humanity of it. But it's just so strange how people feel free to malign cats and kill them in movies. And, you know, we have the answers now to cats in shelters, and we have the answers in cats and communities, yet many, many, many municipal governments will not hear it. They won't. They'd rather impound house and kill and haul away their bodies than TNR them. It's nuts. So we are slowly making this progress, right? Um, you know, what are you seeing in LA with Stray Cat Alliance, with your organization? If you told me 10 years ago that we would do, and we're like, I don't even think that we're an adoption agency, <laughs> but we would do 1,400 adoptions last year. 
like we do five a day, you know, we're probably, we're going up and up and up. I like, we get hundreds of applications for adoption. There is absolutely a renaissance with cats. 100%. There's a renaissance with the no kill movement and shelter animals count. And we need, there's other ways you don't have to kill them, but there's a renaissance with cats and the amount of people who are adopting and who are fostering. And obviously we know when everybody was locked down in mid, mid March, we had seven or 800 applications to foster in a couple of days. And we were just like racing through them and letting people know they were important. And we thanked for that outreach. And people were like, well, they're just going to go back to work and give them back. I'm like, no, no, they're going to end up adopting them. And m- now some did, but mostly people ended up adopting. So, you know, there's definitely a renaissance, but there's also a discrepancy and I don't have the, all the answers unfortunately. Yeah, I totally agree. There's a renaissance, like we were saying this back and forth, like we're ancient Egypt right now. It's hard to argue with that. Uh, I think the question is like, how do we capitalize on it? So we've got this renaissance, but still two thirds of the animals killed in shelters are cats. So I had this like goofy idea. I don't even know how to do it, but if we could look at a random organization and take the last like thousand photos they used direct mail, emails, whatever, like what percentage of them is cats? And then what is the percent save rate of cats versus dogs? Like, do the appeals even match that? Even even the lovely best friends. Yeah, okay, yeah, like maybe I should do it for us. Like, <laughs> might be easier for me to do that. But seriously, I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly, but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I guess dogs just do better in appeals. I think they do. But that's culture too. So, so um, I went. I actually spoke at a conference in Missouri last October. It was wonderful. This this vet student put it on. Her name is Abby, and I had met her at Austin Pets Live. I'd spoken. She asked me to speak. I went, and there was a social media guru who was uh, doing social media for Stray Cat Rescue of St. Louis. Fabulous group. And she does. The first thing she said is profile your dogs. You're going to make more money with your dogs. And I was like, dang. So I do think it's way harder for a group like Stray Cat Alliance to raise funds. So we have to work 10 times harder um, to say, hey, hey, hey. But again, it's a, it's a cultural thing. It's a marketing thing. It's an awareness thing. Because when you say that to people, they're like, oh, I never thought of that. So the more we put cats in direct mail, we put them on our website and we talk about the obvious to me, which is it's easier to raise money for dogs and cats. I think that that's progress. And how do we capitalize? I think it is happening. I mean, again, you know, and it's not just us in Los Angeles whose adoptions have gone up. All the, the cat groups, their adoptions have gone way up. So I do think it is working and we just need to keep pushing that envelope. I keep coming back to the marketing thing because we have to do better. If we're going to solve this, programs are part of it, but we have to get the public behind it, which is just true for everything. And if we make them lesser animals, less worthy of saving, it just makes everything harder. And, you know, I even see adoption bios, Christy, still in 2020 that, again, make them sound very uncool. No, I know this whole like they're aloof and they don't need you is kind of insane to me. I mean, my cat Bobby like sleeps on top of me and they're like, my cats are, I used to have a 
Cat Flynn, he was blind, he followed me. I mean, they aren't aloof. They yeah, they're they're pretty smart and you know, community cats can figure things out way better than a dog. I always say we know I mean, I love dogs, right? And I've always had dogs. It's the only time I haven't. But um I always say cats are superior to dogs because you will never see a cat eat dog shit, but you will see dogs eat cat shit all the time. Christy. Christy. <laughs> oh, hello. Uh, okay, that's a good one. Actually, I'll have to remember that. <laughs> but it's crazy, though. I'll bring up Carl again. This is our behaviorally challenged roommate. He has an ear tip. He was returned from uh, an adoptive home for being too friendly, and he is oppressive. Uh, and there I go again, talking poorly about him. Uh, but seriously, if you're looking for a new love in your life, just send me an email, podcast at bestfriends.org. No. <laughs> just kidding, we never give him up. Uh, but listen, Christy, I'm so appreciative that you took the time. I think the world of you and the work you do, and you know, I asked you to come here and talk about the big picture, and yeah, I think we achieved uh, the goal for that. Yeah. And the big picture is, I, I do think it's the advocacy piece that will lead to the rest. But if we don't, if we don't do the big piece of advocacy, messaging, mythology, you know, stopping the demonization and really encouraging more adoption and encouraging, you know, municipal governments with their so backwards misinformed um, ordinances that either stop the TNR, stop the return to field. I mean, when I was in Missouri and I did, actually I presented on safe at home, but the uh, organizer had me sit at a table. So they, they had you at a table for lunch and I sat with, so it was fascinating. So in California, we have these huge municipal systems that just help way too much. And, and I believe in local uh, animal shelters, animal control, because if your animal is lost, you're not going to go an hour away. But in Los Angeles, you know, if you're in West Hollywood, your animal ends up in Carson, like it's ridiculous. But in Missouri, it's the opposite. There's like a shelter on every corner and there's a lot of duplication. And they were talking about that. So I'm sitting with a ton of animal shelter workers and they were like, yeah, they won't allow any TNR. They won't let us, they won't let us, they won't let us, they won't let us. Our only option is to take them in, kill, 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 kill. And I could see the look on some of these shelter workers faces of just utter um, frustration and depression. And I don't think people ever talk about the abuse how abusive the system is on shelter workers. Like to me, that's abuse of them because there clearly is a much better way on all fronts. Yet these systems insist that if you work at the shelter, your job is to kill these animals. And how is that good for anybody? And I remember looking at this woman's face across from me and she was just so dejected and frustrated and she knew there were other ways and she knew there were shelters who were changing the world and she had to still kill cats all day long. And nobody ever talks about from their perspective what it's doing on the psyche of a shelter worker who has to kill healthy animals. It's horrible. We're on the right track with the plight of cats, the mythology, the cruelty, 
Um, all of that. We're on the right track. Way more adoptions. I think there's so many things that are good, but we have a huge mountain ahead of us. So back to the original question of this episode, what's the deal with cats? Okay, I'm sorry, that's definitely the last time. We can save these cats in big numbers in spite of the hurdles. Shifting to the programmatic side. We are killing an awful lot of adult cats. We cannot foster our way or kitten nursery or, uh, our way out of this. We have to prevent those births because, again, you see it in the, the data year after year. It just explodes in shelters. Now, for communities that have embraced some of the latest life-saving programs, the difference is dramatic. Peter Wolf is the research and policy analyst at Best Friends. His role focuses on the science and public policy around cats and cat issues. He says the old and sadly all too often current system of impounding stray cats and putting them in the shelter just doesn't make sense. The only reason they need to be in the shelter is to be sterilized, vaccinated, and find a ride back to where they came from. But what about cats like that are lost? I mean, shouldn't they get to the shelter to be reunited with their owner? Unfortunately, the odds on that reunion are very long. A stray dog entering a shelter, give or take one in three gets back home, which isn't very good at all. What about for cats? The return to owner rate is, depending on where you look, we, we think it's about two to 5%. So about half of cats, 50% that are brought into a shelter are what we would consider to be community cats, free roaming, sometimes owned, sometimes not. They have people caring for them, but they probably don't have someone who's gonna go looking at the shelter if they land there. If you're listening to this, you're familiar with TNR, trap the cat, neuter, and return. But these days, there's been an evolution of the program. They stopped long ago in, in some of these communities. They stopped picking up and impounding healthy adult cats. So instead, the shelter system becomes an active participant in the TNR effort, still working together with local organizations. These community cat programs, or CCPs as we call them, are incredibly successful. The hopeful part is we do know how to do it. It takes a lot of work. It takes an investment of funding, emotionally, time. You don't build those relationships in a week. Um, you have to build trust, which typically has been eroded for many generations in these communities. So it, it's a lot of work, but we do have a map. We know how to do it. Um, we're seeing our colleagues do it every day. So yay, problem solved. But if it were only that easy, right? And if we can struggle with the way we relate to and talk about cats, those who don't love them as we do, and you know, oftentimes those are the very people that need to be convinced to implement a CCP. So Peter's work involves him figuring out how to reach them, the policymakers. How can we appeal to them? Last month, he had a paper published in the Journal of Urban Affairs. Very light reading, but it is a place that elected officials look to when they're figuring out how to create these types of policies. Here's the evidence. Here's talks about the efficacy of this, but we also know that facts don't necessarily change hearts and minds and can actually backfire. Peter says one approach, though, that's proven to be successful is pitching this as a pilot program. Even some of the, the um, decision makers who might feel inclined feel like they're really sticking their neck out. What if this doesn't work and next year's re-election or whatever, right? Go in there with a pilot. Another advantage of pitching that pilot is that it will allow for some flexibility around ordinance restrictions that may currently prevent a full-blown shift in policy. We're not asking you to change your ordinance. You can do, you can do stuff where they can do, say, a council resolution that says, we're going to set aside all the provisions in the ordinances for the next year or whatever 
so that we can do this pilot program. Now, these ordinances, outdated laws are huge roadblocks to progress in communities across the country. I look forward to the day when it's hard, like you have to get in line, get on a list if you want a cat. We get a glimpse. We know what that might look like, but it sure doesn't feel like it if you're in LA, Phoenix, Florida. I mean, LA Animal Services last year, kitten intake was up 21%. You can't bail the tub year after year with that kind of increase, right? If you're not actually shutting down those kitten factories. Prepping for this episode, I did a lot of Googling and looking at all sorts of data. I came across a pet-related website. Now, this is a website aimed at people who own or want to own pets. There was an article written by someone who said they have cats, and the article was a list with reasons of why you shouldn't have a cat. And this wasn't a tongue-in-cheek, lighthearted deal. I mean, these were really pointed reasons why this person thought that cats made terrible pets. So to continue on the theme of today of saving cats and how it often includes changing hearts and minds, I want to introduce you to one of the community cat outreach specialists at Best Friends, Leah Long. I was a, a CCP coordinator with Jefferson Parish for a couple of years. If you are working on TNR or part of a full-blown return to feel community cat program, you know that people play a very big role. It really is about the people just as much, if not more so, than about the animals. Because, you know, we need them to be able to, to get that solution of getting those cats back out there alive. And by that, she doesn't just mean the shelter staff or the people who work with the animal welfare organizations. For over a week, we had a man bringing cats into the shelter. Members of the public, uh, probably not part of the crowd standing in line for CatCon. The staff shared that he was very angry and upset and wanted the cats removed. I brought him into my office to have a conversation because I think that that's where everything always needs to start is having a conversation and letting people um, express What's going on? Why is it that they don't want the cats on their property? Very rarely is it just like, I hate cats and I want them to not exist. There's always a reason behind uh, why they're bringing the cats into the shelter. I think it's worth noting here that just as every animal is an individual, so are people. Their concerns are valid. And as Leah says, you've got to listen. So I sat down and I listened to him and um, he explained to me that he was a veteran and that he experienced PTSD and so he needed to um, put a lot of surveillance on his property. He had these motions detecting uh, cameras. And so when he tried to sleep at night, the cats were coming onto his property, setting off these alarms. Now, there are solutions for that. Well, I told him as I, as I could work with him. I, I did an assessment of his property and I helped him set up deterrence to deter the cats from his property, and they worked. The deterrence kept the cats from setting off the alarms. And once he'd caught some Zs, he became a valued member of the community cat team. He actually ended up trapping a cat specifically for the purposes of getting them fixed and knowing that they're going to come back because he understood he, he never had a problem with the cats themselves. He had a problem with not being able to go to sleep. And once that was fixed, he's willing to actually work with us to get the cats fixed. Okay, for real, until I talked to Leah about this, I didn't even realize. I thought community cat program, it just meant community cats, right? Cats that live in the community, but there's actually, duh, a double meaning. It's really about working with the people that are bringing the cats, the people that feed the cats, everyone that makes up those communities. So it, that was one of the most satisfying experiences I've had while working in that program. So now what? 
you're working at a shelter or with a rescue organization, a member of the public, you want to see this happen in your community. That you're already interested is a, the first really great step on, on taking these progressive actions. And then what you really need to do now is look into what those next steps are for you. What are the ordinances maybe that are those roadblocks that you can work on um, moving out of the way or what do you need to put in your shelter to be able to implement that. And then once you, you go from there, all you really need is work with your fellow staff members, get that buy-in. I get it. It's overwhelming, but Best Friends is here for you. We've got resources about these programs up on the podcast website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. And while I didn't specifically ask, I bet Leah and her colleagues would be happy to chat directly with you. I can connect you if you like. Just email me, podcast at bestfriends.org. Cats are not lesser animals. They are more worthy of our love. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm biased. But what's the deal with cats? We just need to approach the life-saving differently. Getting to No-Kill 2025 cannot be done unless we start to figure out how to save cats better than we know today. Community cat programs are good, but we need to do them faster and cheaper. And at times it may feel like those roadblocks in your community are impassable, but they're not. So let's work together, share information, inspiration, and just overall support each other. I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation around saving cats so we can save them all. I'd like to thank the producers of the show, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, and Mark Peralta. Please take care of yourselves and each other and be safe. I'm John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.